Originally, the plan was to read Habakkuk and, and again, it looks like Habakkuk, but it's pronounced Habakkuk, uh, and then, and also Obadiah. But the more I worked on the sermon, the more it kept growing, and so we split it. And next week, you get a break, the shortest book in the Old Testament, Obadiah. This week, it's Habakkuk, a very short book, but it's an amazing book. I would imagine that anybody who has arrived at adulthood in this room has struggled with God at some point. If you have not, you need to be aware that you are incredibly blessed. Most people, by the time they become an adult, have already wrestled with God at least once. I have wrestled with him repeatedly, and I make that abundantly clear. I don't hide that from you. You might think, because of my, my education and work, that it's, uh, my wrestling with God has been about science, but not really. That's been a relatively minor aspect of my questions. I find that um, most questions about science and God and faith have answers if you're willing to search and do the hard work. The problem of pain and suffering, yes, that's been an issue. But the main issue is tied to that, but it's still the main issue. The main issue I've had in my struggles with God have been about unanswered prayer. When you really go to God sincerely and you don't get what you asked for. Many of you have gone through that as well. Now, we could spend, literally, any church that has Albert Lemons as a member here, we could spend the next several weeks talking about the miraculous things God has done among us in response to prayer. I'm not ignoring those at all. But we tend to remember those times we kept knocking and didn't get anything but silence. And sometimes we got the opposite of what we asked for. That's the one that really gets to me. And by the age of 12, this was already a big issue with me. And when I read Habakkuk, it stuck. And you're thinking, what kind of 12-year-old sits around wrestling with this reading Habakkuk? Welcome to my life. <laughs> We're going to skip the context and the history lesson for now. We'll get to it. But for now, just look at the way this book opens. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife, conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed. Justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Anybody ever said anything like that to God? What amazed me at the age of 12 was that that was in the Bible and God let him do it. Because I'd always been told, oh, you don't say things like that to God. No, 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 you behave. And then I started reading the Old Testament and found the prophets kept going to God saying, what is this? What, when, when are you going to do something here? And I found that God was a God that actually you could go talk to about anything. And that if you're angry with him, you might as well tell him because he's God. He knows. It's not like you're hiding it. So work it out. If you ever have had that kind of feeling to God, where are you and why aren't you doing more? The absolute last thing you would want to hear is what Habakkuk heard in response. You might think silence is what you want. No, no, it's worse than silence. Verses 5 through 11. Look at the nations and watch. Be utterly amazed. 
for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They're a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves, and they promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They come all intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. By building earthen ramps, they capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. Oh, wait a minute. What are you, God's saying, you know what I'm going to do in response to your prayer about there's, there's too much injustice and there's too much violence. I'm going to get that group of people over there that do not acknowledge me, only do things for their own honor and their own false gods. I'm going to raise them up and they're going to come through here like leopards, wolves, coyotes. Well, he didn't say coyotes, but I did. And, 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 and eagles, and just they're going to tear everybody up and they're just going to go on. They're going to be guilty, but they're going to prosper and go on while everybody else is left in ruins. Is that what you want to hear? Of course it isn't. You want to hear that happens to the other guy, the person you prayed against. Not, I'm, oh my goodness. So Habakkuk counters with another prayer. This prayer shows confusion between what he thinks he knows about God and God's character and what he just heard and what he sees with his eyes. Anybody else get confused about this? God is a great God, so why this? Well, wait a minute, God did this, but I thought he's confused. So he, Lord, are you not from everlasting? In other words, aren't you the real God? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. See, he thought, hang on, he thought God's success was linked to Habakkuk's success and Habakkuk's people and his nation. God, what are you going to do without us? Don't you want to win? How often do we link these things? Thinking that for us to prosper means God's prospering. And if we're not doing well, God's not doing well. We got it wrong. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, you my rock, have ordained them to punish. You, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. In other words, no, 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 no. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You've made people like fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. By the way, that's an allusion to actually what the Babylonians often did. They would take you off in chains and put a hook through your nose or a hook through your chin to pull you along. With hooks... He catches them all in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet, and so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net. He burns incense to his dragnet, for by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? I'll stand at my watch, station myself on the ramparts. I'll look to see what he will say to me, and what answer I'm to give to this complaint. In other words, I've thrown that back at you, God. I'm going to stand right here until you answer me. 
Just like Habakkuk, sometimes we have to sit and watch and wonder and wrestle. Why? What is God up to? Or why isn't God up to more? So let's get some context, and then we'll come back to see what God has to say for himself. We know next to nothing about Habakkuk. Uh, his name may mean the embracer, and that's what some commentaries will tell you. Others argue very strongly that his name merely means tree, and that it wasn't his name. It was his title, as in a tree in the middle of the wilderness, all alone, standing in testimony against the desert, asking a question of God. I lean toward the tree idea, but that's only because I, I love the imagery of it. He stands as a witness to our vulnerability. We are naked in the desert before all the powers of the universe, and we're asking God for help. We can tell from this book, he was concerned about moral failure, about injustice. We know he believed that there was a God and that that God could do whatever God wanted to do. And that gave him a problem. Why is God allowing terrible things to continue? You need to get this in your head because a lot of people never think about this. Believing in God does not solve the problem of evil. Believing in God creates it. Because if there were no God, if once upon a time there were nothing, it blew up and we got us, then we are all random and there's nothing between us and Pluto that matters anything but the arrangement of some of our atomic structure. And nothing matters and when you die, nothing, you go into nothingness. And therefore, life is, as the poet put it, nasty, brutish, and short. And as another po poet put it, nature is red in tooth and claw. And you would expect nothing else. But if there is a God, and that God is good, then we have questions, do we not? Why are you running the universe this way? Why don't you run it another way? We, um, we look for reasons. Somebody gets cancer, we look for reasons. And there are so many companies that prey on that and say, oh, if you don't want to get cancer, just buy our product. Do our thing. I was reading an article this week by one of the top cancer um, groups, actually, in the world, and it, the graph was not fun. It said, this, here's, here's the, the causes of cancer we know about. 58% of them were, in the words of the, may as well be blind luck, we can see no connection. Genes, diet, environment, nothing. And we live in that kind of universe, and we go, is it really that random? Where is God? What is God doing? Now, as for Habakkuk himself, he refers to himself as a prophet, but his book is not really a prophecy. And that makes it really unique among these small books. It's a prayer journal. Do some of you journal your prayers? This is a prayer journal. So he says, this is what I said. This is my response from God. So I said this, and then I waited this long. And he also seems to have been a, a worship leader. Now, we don't get this. When you, if you read it and you say, I didn't see that, that's all right. In Hebrew, he uses a bunch of musical terms that were generally used for Levi, uh, by Levites who led worship. So he was either a musician or more likely a worship minister. And this is a worship minister's prayer journal. 
And it makes it a very unique book in the way that he phrases things. The rabbis tell us he was a Levite, but they also say, and by the way, I'm not sure if this is correct or not. I just know this is what the Jews tell us, and they know their stuff. They say he was that son of the Shunammite woman in 2 Kings 4. Remember, Elisha promised her that she would have a son. She didn't believe him, but she had a son. Then the son grew up and had a stroke of some sort and died in the field. And the woman, of course, the widow was, was very distraught. And Elisha brought him back up and revived him and brought him back to life. Do you remember that story? The, the Jews tell us that Habakkuk was that boy. He lived at the same time as Jeremiah, Zephaniah, maybe Nahum. And he was in a very, very bad time in history. I know people will tell you, oh, we've never had times as bad as this. And I always think, just read a book. Oh, my goodness. We are more blessed than anybody's ever been. We're safer than anybody's ever been. We just know about bad stuff fast now because 24-7 news cycles. Bad stuff happened all through history. In fact, if you want to know what it looked like right before the Babylonians sweep in, in other words, in the time of Habakkuk, there is a passage in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, 14 through 16. It explains this is the status of things. Furthermore, all the leaders and priests and the people became more and more unfaithful, following all the detestable practices of the nations. Whoa. Go ahead. It's all right. Um, they followed what the nations did. Always remember this. Get this in your head. Put it on Twitter if you have to. The devil is always better at evangelizing us than we are at evangelizing the world. Always. The world is better at evangelizing us than we are, better, than we are at evangelizing it. Be aware of it, prepare for it, and adjust for it. They brought desecrations into the temple of the Lord, which he had concentrated, consecrated in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them through his messengers again and again because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people. And look at that last line. There was no remedy. Habakkuk's prayers aren't going to stop it. At this stage... No, it has been unleashed. Later on today, if you really want to get a grasp of this, read Jeremiah 10, and then read Habakkuk again. It will not take you more than 20 minutes, 30 minutes to do that. Jeremiah 10, and then Habakkuk again, to see the state of the world and understand what God is now saying. Israel is a mess. Josiah's reforms, where he had tried to return the people to the law of God that they had lost and forgotten, they had stopped far short of a real national revival, and he was gone. He was dead. The Babylonians had already swept in and destroyed Nineveh. Do you remember the lesson on Jonah, how big a city Nineveh was? Nineveh is now captured by the Babylonians. The Assyrians were driven out, destroyed, slaughtered, led away with hooks like fish. The Babylonians were looking at Israel. 
Have you ever looked at a map and seen where Israel is? All the enemies are here, and all their enemies are here in Egypt. And who's in the middle? Who's in the highway of the superpowers going back and forth? That would be like perpetual war between the United States and the old Soviet Union. And in the middle is the state of Kentucky. It's about that size. And every time we want to go to war against them or they against us, we've got to walk through there. That's Israel. That's where they are. So the Egyptians, they ran down and said, can you help us out? The Egyptians said, yes, but only if you come under our rule. And they said, yes. They put a king in called Jehoaz. He only lasted a few months. Then he was replaced by his older brothers. The Egyptians were in charge of who was, in, who was king in Israel. And then Egypt fell. It lost a battle against the Babylonians, and there was nobody between Israel and the madman Nebuchadnezzar, and the mightiest army the world had ever seen. The only way the righteous was going to survive was through faith, because sight is going to tell them something completely different. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Now, I need to stress something here. God has always required us to live by faith and not by sight, and that's a very hard thing to do. If, if Mark and I were to come next Sunday and there were 30 people here and 20 of them weren't singing, we would look at each other and say, what did we do wrong? What? How? We? And, you know, the shepherds would hold a meeting if, if they weren't, already gone, and say, what have, what's, what have we, it's so hard to believe that sometimes doing the right thing looks like failure. When I first moved up to Michigan back in 2001, right after September 11th, that's why we decided to go back and work in that, in that kind of environment, the elders at the time there said, Patrick, we'd like you to devise a five-year plan. I looked at them and I said, why? And they said, we want you to, you know, at, at this, by this time we want to have this many in attendance and the like. And I said, I'll see you at the next meeting. And at the next meeting I walked in, sat down, and I said, I'm not going to try to outplan the Holy Spirit. Let's let him do what he wants to do. And they said, well, we're just looking for goals and metrics because they're all business guys. And I looked at them and I said, if I do my job, we might have 20 people in three years. We don't go by that. We go by a different metric. Is God pleased with what we are doing? Are we doing the will of the Lord regardless of being the only tree in the desert? Are we doing the right thing? But sometimes it makes us wonder, what does it mean to live by faith? I got to tell you something, when God says live by faith, he doesn't necessarily mean survive down here. He means you will live eternally if you have faith. God is more concerned with our ultimate faith than with having a good day today. I got to admit, 90% of my prayers are on God. Can I have a good day? Really, if I dissect them, I'm not proud of that. God's main concern isn't about me having a good day. It's about me being a good person. And that's a very different thing. And if I'm a good person, I might have a lousy day. 
So it makes you wonder, why do we pray? And I would submit to you, prayer is there to change things, yes. But it is more there to change us. Prayer changes things, but it, it mainly changes us. As God goes, by the way, the rest of the book, through the whole list of why he's going to destroy Babylon one day, Habakkuk sees something very important. And that is that Israel is guilty of the same sins that is bringing judgment eventually upon Babylon. Calling for God's judgment on bad people is a very dangerous thing to do. Because whatever measure we use for others, Matthew 7, will be used against us. If you ever have a doubt on how to handle a person or situation, try mercy. Try. Try it as often as you can. Why? Whatever measure we use, we need to, we need to use against others because it's going to be used on us. Habakkuk was calling for God to destroy the Babylonians for the same reason God had to punish the Israelites. And that's why love is our greatest weapon. Not vengeance. Love. The book of James, by the way, we're not going to go there and do a lot in it, but you might want to know. The book of James gives us some reasons why our prayers, many of our prayers, seem to rise up and then fall back down and never make it to God. And we get silence or we get rebuke. He says in chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, some don't pray in faith. By the way, I'm not trying to blame the victim. You want know to I mean by that? Somebody gets cancer and somebody will go in and say, you know why? You've been eating too much red meat. Really? We're blaming the victim here? Don't do that. I've, like a, you know, I live in pain and there are days that are worse than others and I can still remember back when I was about 20, this guy that was a member of a big church in town, not one of ours, came to me and wanted me to go to one of their healing meetings. And I said, no, that's all right. You know, I do pray. And he said, well, if, if you know, Patrick, you're not praying right, because if you pray right, God says he'll give you anything. That's what you want to hear. It's your fault. <laughs> really? By the way, if you look at that, I'll give you anything you ask for. He was telling that to his apostles who needed to go into all the world and reach people in that first generation. He wasn't saying that you get the new car or the happy day. Context is everything. But he says some don't pray in faith. I am. Um, if you always go about doubting, your life becomes a pain. More than that, you become a pain. I remember once I dated a girl. She was the slowest in the herd, so I caught her. I was always afraid of girls, and then somebody told me, they're, they're pretty afraid of you, too. No, oh, okay, wait. Anyway, um, and she was a very nice person, but you could not compliment her. And I try, you know, we, for a few weeks, we tried to date, but I would say, that's a nice dress. No, it isn't. This is wrong with that, that, and the other. You know, you cooked a nice meal. No, I burned that. This is bad, whatever. You know, I like your hair. No, I didn't. You couldn't, and I, I looked at her, and I said, either you think I'm a horrible liar, or I have very low standards, didn't go well. <laughs> there was a period in my life where I had little brown bruises from being touched with 10-foot poles. Um, you've, got, you've got to somehow trust God and just say, 
I know you've got this. No matter what I see, I live by faith. I know you've got this. Some pray for reasons that God can't approve of. Chapter 4, verses 2 through 3. He, no, you can't ask God to do that. And I've caught myself doing that too. Lord, smite them. No, no. Lord, change that person's mind. Really? Do you want him to do it to yours? You want to take away your free will? Be very careful. He says selfish motives. God's not going to answer. And then chapter 5, that one gets me in James, verses 15 through 18. Some don't pray earnestly, specifically, with passion. It's just a prayer. And if that's all you're going to do, talking to God, you're not going to get it. You need to engage with him. We're also very often guilty of praying without acting. God told us to watch and pray. If you want to pray for the poor people of the world, feed them. If you want to pray for the orphans, adopt one or sponsor some. If you want to pray for world peace, be a peaceful person and work at peace. Whatever it is you're praying for, watch and pray, Jesus said. Be involved. Be the answer to God's prayers. To Peter, who was praying, he said, rise up quickly. All right, you prayed. Move. Go. C.S. Lewis had so many great lines. He said, it is always easier to pray for a boar than to visit him. Don't just pray for people. Engage. God wants our lives and our prayers to match up. And very often they don't, at least in, with me. I'm sure you're perfect. No, you're not. But with me, a quick reading of chapter 2. If you want to know what upsets God, read chapter 2. And then mourn. Because chapter 2 shows us why God is upset enough to turn away pleas for help from Israel, his own people. And when you read the reasons, you realize he's speaking to us too. Greed. We've talked about greed with Amos in particular. Stacking up possessions more than you need. Wow. God says, no, I'm not going to help you. But what about this one? Shedding blood and destroying things just to make your life easier. We have seen the videos, have we not? Of people casually speaking of crushing babies to save their parts and sell them as they're eating their Caesar salad. Before anybody comes up to me and says, you know that was highly edited, they, within five minutes, released the whole video. It's three hours long. Did you watch it? It is far worse than anything you saw. Far worse. Laughing about what bits of the babies are crunchy and what aren't and how much money they can get, and haggling over bits and pieces. And in response to this horror, our government has launched an investigation against the people who took the video. I wonder how long we can pray and expect God to hear. I wonder how long. This, friends, is unexplainable. It's indefensible. It's evil. 
and it's only one of many. A man walks into a theater and opens fire, shooting two beautiful young women who had no reason to be shot and killed. Others are wounded. Another walks into a church, sits and studies Bibles and then, uh, with them, and then opens fire on the very people that welcomed them in. This we have to ask. What are we doing to change this? And if not, why would we expect God to hear our prayers when he tells Habakkuk, I will not hear yours because this is what your nation does. In even some sense, we would even say, oh, they're a bit minor. He even says in chapter 2, you guys are using alcohol to get people drunk so that you can see each other naked and have sex. Well, that sounds like half the commercials that you see during sports. Sports are always, I don't know why, uh, the commercial heavy on products that if you drink a lot of them, you can't do sports. <laughs> What's going on? And then, of course, he brings up worshiping idols of whatever sort. I find it fascinating. Worshiping idols is the last one of that list. Most of us would have put it up there. That's a bad one. No. It all starts with greed. I want what I want. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 20. You sang it today. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. That verse saved me when I was 12. Because I was sinking deep into depression at an early age. I was wrestling with darkness and my childhood was not friendly or fun. And I, many of you had worst. I'm not worst. I'm not, I'm not trying to trump anybody in the room. Just if you grab that verse. You see, I found in my own mind that I wanted to serve God, but primarily in an advisory capacity. <laughs> I wanted to serve God by explaining to him how his church really should be run, how the world really should be run, and what he really should be doing rather than being silent before him and saying, what do you need? Here am I, send me. Habakkuk 2 verse 20 goes through my head almost every day to this day. And the old hymn, dear Lord and Father of mankind, forgive our foolish ways, reclothe us in our rightful mind, in purer lives thy service find, in deeper reverence, praise. I've run that through because I, like you, wrestle with God. Habakkuk's response to God's righteousness and God's right to be angry with Babylon and to the realization that his, God's righteousness demanded that justice be done and that meant Habakkuk and his people might die is one of the most beautiful and humbling responses in Scripture. He chooses faith. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet, I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come upon the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, no matter what I see, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, 
Though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. In other words, not what I see. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Live by faith. And that faith will be enough. Mark, if you want to start bringing your team up, I'm going to step down and close this by referring back to C.S. Lewis. There's a wonderful book, he wrote so many, called The Screwtape Letters. Now, if you don't read British real well, it can be a bit of a struggle, but still, it's worth it. Uh, there's even an audio version, or there was once, I don't know if it's still in print, where John Cleese reads it, and that's brilliant. He's, he's got the voice of Satan, and it's meant to be a compliment, but anyway. Well, he's English, which I've always suspected. Anyway, the point. There's a point, if you don't know the story, there's a minor demon who is trying to tempt a young Christian, and his boss demon is correcting him, and they're writing letters back and forth, and that's the book. The head demon gives advice to his young demonic protege. He says this, sooner or later, God withdraws, if not in fact, at least from their conscious experience. He withdraws all supports, all incentives. He leaves the creature, that is you, to stand on its own legs, to carry out the will alone. Those duties which have lost all relish, he wants them to learn to walk and must therefore take away his hand. If only he would, the demon says. Oh, he says, I love this. He is only pleased with these creatures if the will to walk is there even when they stumble. Our cause, the demon's cause, is never more in danger than when a Christian, no longer desiring, but still intending to do God's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of God seems to have vanished and asks, why have I been forsaken and yet still obeys? You and I, you may be in the most blessed time in your life. We had a wedding here yesterday. It was beautiful, the young couple. Brilliant. We, you might be in the best day of your life right now. Others in this room are suffering mightily. You need to know something. Sometimes he withdraws his hand. Sometimes you cannot see him. We need to make the same response as did Habakkuk. Walk. Forsaken, maybe, but still obeying. That's why Jesus said, if you profess me before men, I'll profess you before God. That's why we're going to close today by standing and professing our faith no matter what in the ancient of days. Amen, church?